So then. If you awaken from this illusion. Persistence of vision. Ladies and gentlemen, inspiring conversations in the four corners of the globe and in outer space and at the bottom of the ocean. This is Persistence of Vision. Hello, folks. I'm Lance Fever Myers. Hello, folks. I'm LB Dio. You should go to our website right now if you haven't already. It is pov-publishing.com. Even if you have gone already, go again. You can read comics and uh, essays and poetry and that sort of thing. And you can also follow links to past podcasts and links to go purchase my book, which is called Why So Much by Lance Myers. You can also purchase LB's book called The Goddamn Fool. By, by LB, LB, of course. Dio. Yes, 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 of course. <laughs> so, of course. Uh, once again, we're here to talk about a book, and we have a guest. LB, tell us who this guest is. We always talk about books, don't we? What the hell's wrong with us? I don't know, man. We're here with Mocha Washburn, one of the great rock and roll stars, uh, mixed martial arts fighters, and uh, Hawaiian transplants that I've ever encountered in my short life. So uh, we're gonna, and he's going to talk to us about a book called "A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius" by none other than Dave Eggers, whose email address you may have. Mocha, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It's good to have you here, man. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's been a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's been a while. So this book, um, it's been one of my favorites for a while. Uh, why did you choose it? So this book in particular was sort of a turning point for me in what literature could be. Uh, previous to this, it was either, um, you know, pop literature, some of the uh, light YA stuff, mm. um, or, you know, you had some tongue-in-cheek stuff like Douglas Adams and the Hitchhiker's uh, trilogy, et cetera. Um, then there was like the serious stuff like Lord of the Rings uh, or any of sort of like the great classics, um, you know, that I was reading in high school, like... Um, Moby Dick, uh, and, um, can't think of the name, the Heart of Darkness. There we go. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. We've talked so, about all those books on our show. <laughs> that's right. I, I seriously doubt that. We have. Have you really? <laughs> we haven't, we've just, we've Maybe touched not. on Lord of the Rings, but not, okay. not had Heart of Darkness? We, I think that's come we up We talked about it yeah. at length in the, in the context of discussing right. other shows. Yes. yes. Yeah, so th th that was sort of my background for what literature was, and I was looking for a book, um, and this is when I was living in L.A., and mm. I was dating a woman that worked at a bookstore and asked her for a recommendation, and this is what she recommended, mm. and it sort of broke open my concepts of like what it, what a book could be, what literature could be, and what it, what a writer could be, essentially. About what, what yeah, year tell was us it? More what's about what's that. the time, time frame here? Ooh, uh, 2000... Three? Okay. Wow. 2002, 2003, yeah, somewhere yeah. in there. So the book hadn't been out very long. No, only a couple of years. Yeah, okay. This is before our super intern, Union Brooks, was even born. <laughs> I, I, is that accurate? I didn't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty no. close. Pretty close. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so what, what grabbed you about it? Like, I stepped yeah, on LB's question, but yes, he's, he's wanting to know why. Like, what, what is it about this book that sort of redefined what you saw literature could be? So the the concept of meta humor mm. wasn't really a thing back then, uh, at least in the way that it is now. Right. We have like the Deadpool movies now. We have the um, uh, Zombieland movies. And there's like a meta humor aspect to that where there's a lot of fourth wall breaking. There's a lot of um, joking about 
joking, mm, uh, right. essentially, yes. right? Uh, so, and, and a lot of ironic humor in all sure. of that stuff that's funny because it's not funny mm -hmm. or, um, sort of poking fun at oneself, uh, specifically. Mm -hmm. And that kind of humor wasn't really as much, uh, I mean, it existed, obviously. It's not like there's anything new under the sun, right? <laughs> but, um, there wasn't sort of culturally, uh, available or culturally relevant at the time. Yeah. And this book is like essentially um, my first contact with like really good meta humor, mm. but it's also, uh, I mean, just the title, right? A yes. Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius. It's both ironic and humorous, but it's also scarily accurate Yeah, because it is heartbreaking. It is sort of groundbreaking in terms of writing. Um, so it is, you know, a, a work of staggering genius in that sense. Right. Uh, but it's the author sort of poking fun at himself and at sort of literature tropes of right. titles and everything. Yes. Uh, so that, that whole sort of just the title itself sort of encapsulates everything and that's really relevant about that book. And you crack it open and the very first thing you read is the, the, the preface, right? Yeah, Which the preface. That in and of itself is a genius piece of writing, I think. Right, yeah. So like I'll, I'll just share the first, uh, one of the first pages, not literally the first page, but this is rules and suggestions for enjoyment of this book. Number one, there is no overwhelming need to read the preface. <laughs> really. It exists mostly for the author and those who, after finishing the rest of the book, have for some reason found themselves stuck with nothing else to read. If you have already read the preface and you wish you had not, we apologize. We should have told you sooner. Number two, there is also no overreaching need to read the acknowledgement section. Many early readers of this book, see page XLV, suggested its curtailment or removal, but they were defied. Still, it is not necessary to the plot in any major way. So, as with the preface, if you have already read the acknowledgement section and wish you had not, again, we apologize. <laughs> we should have said something. Number three, you can also skip the table of contents if you're short of time. Number four, actually, many of you might want to skip much of the middle, namely pages <laughs> 239 through 351, which concern the lives of people in their early 20s, and those lives are very difficult to make interesting, even when they seem interested to those living them at the time. Five, matter of fact, the first three or four chapters are all some of, are all some of you might want to bother with. That gets you to page 123 or so, which is a nice length, a nice novella sort of length. Those first four chapters stick to one general subject, something manageable, which is more than what can be said for the rest of the book thereafter. Six, the book thereafter is kind of uneven. <laughs> I think you're onto something there with with how how revolutionary this is. Now, I mean, you you also of course admit there's like nothing new. So, like, I mean, people, the the work that comes to mind for me is like the the thing that led up to this, or the thing that sort of broke it open for me was uh, Breakfast of Champions. Uh, like Vonnegut seemed to have done a little bit of this, but I think you're right in that this this is the first time it, it, for, for, for me too, anyway, as a reader that I saw it taken to such lengths and done so well. And also done in a, in a voice of like a, a very modern contemporary voice that sort of encapsulates this like, uh, you know, voice of irony of the, of, of, of our contemporary culture. Yeah. And the set and setting of it, of course, is also, um, what really allows for that to be, um, for what allows for that 
framing for that sort of meta humor to actually come forward. Um, so the the this is like a semi autobiographical book for those who may not be familiar with it. Yes, and, it's it's characterized as a memoir uh, in the introduction. Right, and the issue with it is that it sort of spans so many different types of literature that it can be found in many different sections of a given bookstore. Mm. <laughs> right, yeah. Every bookstore is going to have it in a different place. So it's essentially a memoir, but it has fictionalized elements in it. Fictionalized in the sense that elements of the actual story that are happening are used as um, sort of the narrator's own internal debate with himself. And... Um, so, so something that may be happening in that book, for example, will act will shortly sort of break the walls of the actual narrative itself and turn into sort of a more uh, almost metaphysical rumination on the author's situation or position right. uh, in what's happening. The general arc of the story is about um, Dave, and it's literally Dave Eggers. Or you know, again, memoir. So large parts are based essentially on fact. Um, and his parents both died of cancer within about six months of each other. Right. And this would have been 89, 90-ish. Mm -hmm. um, and he had uh, two other siblings close to the same age as him. So he was approximately 20 years old at the time. And uh, both of his other siblings were a little bit older than him, but still close to the same age. And then his younger brother, who was 10. Tof, right? But, yeah, Christopher Tof. Yeah, and so Tof was, um, you know, the the baby of the family and lost both of his parents within six right. months of each other. Yeah, and so the book well, we're talking about a character who has suffered three major tragedies. We've already heard about where is both of his parents dying and his name is Topher. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so poor Tof. Um, so anyway, um, this was all in Chicago, like where the right. Eggers sort of grew up essentially. And um, that's like the first chapter of the book yeah. is the, the family experience of having his, his parents die within six months of each other. Right. And then from then on, it's basically him and his brother having transplanted to the West Coast, to right. San Francisco. So he takes up the, the, the mantle of the, the parent role for Tove. He's He agrees, while his, his older siblings are busy with their careers and whatnot, he decides to drop out of school and take care of his brother. Right. And there's, um, you know, it's not that his other siblings didn't help, mm. uh, you know, take care of Tove. Yeah. Um, you know, that was some of the um, sort of... Uh, background that came out after the book itself. So for those who don't know, uh, Dave's sister, her name is Beth, and she features in the book somewhat. Right. She ended up committing suicide. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And it wasn't that long ago. I mean, that long ago in, in my years, right? Because I, I swear 2004 was like two years ago. <laughs> but Yeah. Um, that I did, I did not know that. Yeah. So unfortunate. But I know that she felt that Dave sort of overstated his role in, uh, in helping right? parent and raise hmm. Tove, which um, I think that's that's fair in the sense that it, it's Dave's memoir, right? So right. he's writing yeah. about himself yeah. primarily. Well, and they do move in with her, right? They live with Beth. Is it Beth that they live with at first when they move uh, to the West Coast? I believe so, yeah. uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and Beth does, like her wedding is part of the book itself yeah. when she got married and everything. Yeah. Um, his older brother didn't really figure in as much. So I know that Beth is involved there somewhat. Yeah. But um, So the, the way the memoir reads, uh, Dave is largely responsible for, of course, his uh, younger brother's upbringing and, and mm -hmm. being his caregiver. Right. Um, but it's all hijinks and shenanigans as soon as that starts, right? So it has this really 
sort of um, profound and almost elegaic start yeah. in that it's, uh, you know, it's a tragedy. It's a, it's a sort of a family starting from a very dark, the, deep place. Yeah, the account of his mother with the stomach cancer, it just haunts me. It's yeah. really yes. dark and very, very difficult. It's yeah. probably, it's almost certainly the most uh, horrifying description of a disease that I've ever read in my life. Yeah, it's 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 tough. Yeah, at, but starting from such a, a powerful place, right? Like when I first started reading this, I was like, "Ooh, I don't know if I'm going to like this." Yeah, like this is just really intense. It's more intense than I had anticipated initially. Mm -hmm. But then it turns into like a Bugs Bunny cartoon after that <laughs> for like the remainder of the novel, except when it's not right. Yeah, there there are the personal frustrations that um, come up for all of the characters. Um, there's sort of the. Uh, the fear, the parenting fear that I hear arises. Now, I personally am not a parent, mm -hmm. but um, <clears throat> there's, you know, and when this happens, Dave is in his early 20s. So he still wants to be a young person doing young people right. things. He, yeah. he wasn't intending to be a parent, mm -hmm. right? So I'm going to get a babysitter and go out with my friends. And as soon as he leaves the house, he's thinking about serial killers chopping up his little brother. Right. right? Yeah. Um, and so there's that sort of. Uh, exaggerated sense of of his own uh, personal responsibility mm -hmm. when it comes to a lot of that. Right. But then, of course, the way that he states it is uh, hilarious. Yeah. And then, of course, it's him, you know, working on his career. And this is early, you know, 90s San Francisco, the height of the dot-com period, yeah. right? Um, and sort of as he states, it's the white-hot center of culture at the time, uh, which is fairly accurate. I mean, Seattle and, and uh, San Francisco were both kind of the cultural centers of what was going on. Um, the, what was it, season two of The Real World? Yeah, something like that. It was one of the early seasons of The Real World, but it's the most popular season, right? It's the San Francisco season with Puck and with Pedro and all of that. <laughs> and he was actually auditioning for that. Yeah. And it's in the book, yeah. right? That's another part where he takes the audition. So he's, you know, getting interviewed by the producers. And he'd already sent in his audition tape and he got the actual interview and everything, right? And so this one of the middle chapters is just the quote unquote interview, mm -hmm. like the audition that he's going through. Yeah. And and that's where he um, starts pulling out of character and starts drawing attention to the fact that he's pulling out of character. Mm -hmm. You're gonna have a lot of these um, uh, back and forth discussions, which are like, that seems a little bit too like metaphysical for an actual like interview to get on a TV program. <laughs> and then he draws attention to it by saying, you know, in, in character, because the di it's a dialogue essentially, yeah. right? It's like, uh, you know, producer Dave and yeah. the way it's written is yeah. like a script in, in terms of the, um, lines. And so the, it's like producer, this isn't very much like the actual interview at all, <laughs> right, is it right. <laughs> Dave? Nope, not at all. Not actually anything yeah. like this. Right. Yeah. So that's where, you know, it's, that happened several times throughout the book, and that's the first time when it really caught me on the chin. Right. And I was reading this in a, like a cafe in Hollywood, mm. and everyone thought I was a lunatic because <laughs> I would just start bursting out laughing in the middle of the cafe for no reason. It, it, you know, what strikes me is that, okay, so to describe something like that, um, it, it can... I mean, those kinds of things can come off as just obnoxious and, and like kind of just annoying and cutesy. And, but it's like what Shannon uh, McCormick said about uh, uh, Infinite Jest. He said, in the hands of some, someone less capable, it would be a disaster. It's like, you know, Dave Eggers, his writing prowess just brings it like 
to, to a, a masterful level. It's really fantastic the way he handles that. Because that in and of itself can be really, really obnoxious. But his writing of it and his, his capturing of that in this book is just beautiful, I think. You know, it reminds me of is the scene in Annie Hall where someone is discussing Marshall McLuhan in a movie theater line. And uh, Woody Allen says, you're crazy. That's not at all what Marshall McLuhan says. And he says, just listen. And he grabs Marshall right, McLuhan right. from off screen. Yeah. Marshall McLuhan's like, you know nothing of my work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. But I, you know, and I'm not a huge fan of all of Dave Eggers' work, but this one really shows that the dude knows how to write. And he yeah. knows how to write in this particular style just so well. Yeah, and... It's it's funny for me because um, I did so. Of course, I read. Um, I've I've become a big Dave Eggers fan, and I've read a bunch of his stuff after this. Uh, the one after this, directly after this, chronologically was uh, "And You Shall Know Our Velocity," and I also think that's a virtuosic piece of writing. It didn't land the same way for me. Yeah, um, I would say that my two other favorite books after this that he did were um, "What Is the What." and Zaytun, hmm. um, and for different reasons. So what is the what is the story of one of the lost boys of the Sudan, like uh, back in the early 80s when yeah. there was that humanitarian crisis, right? And much like this, it's embellished in the sense that the story is not just that one character's story. He uses elements from other uh, stories of the lost boys of the Sudan and incorporates them into this one character's narrative. But... What he does, which is such a difficult thing to do, and I've seen it just absolutely mangled by lesser authors, is he actually changes his voice mm. because he takes on the voice of this character, you know, the actual person. Um, and there are only hints of like Dave Eggers, a couple of turns of phrase. Where I'm like, that's very Eggers, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but the rest of it was totally subsumed by the voice of the main character itself. And that is really challenging to do. Yes. Um, there was, uh, I saw like a, an example of how not to do it, right? Uh, there's that Chuck Palahniuk novel, uh, Haunted, I think. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. So <laughs> not, 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 a fan. Okay. How not to do it. Yeah. So, well, I, I went through a, a Palahniuk phase, right? Okay. So I, I read, uh, you know, Fight Club, Monst uh, Invisible Monsters, yeah. uh, you know, et cetera. There, there were three or four in there that I read. And I got an advanced copy of Haunted. I believe it's called Haunted. Mm. And the whole thing is a writer's workshop. And so it's a bunch of writers that are that have decided to come together in a workshop uh, and they're sequestered in this workshop and then they find out just how sequestered they are and they all start eating each other. So, like, <laughs> right. so already it's like, if you know the overview, you're like, nah, I don't know about this, yeah. right? Yeah. But the point of like what he does is he has each of these authors like the story that they're writing right while they're all sequestered and that's how you get to know the characters but they all sound like chuck palinuk mm, right mm -hmm. gotcha and so with something like what is the what dave eggers doesn't sound like dave eggers right yeah. he sounds like someone else uh and then zaytun is just a really straightforward like uh very serious um uh uh like just biography Biography, biographical account of uh, the the you know uh, uh, name character namesake character uh, who's uh, I don't believe it's his first name maybe his last name I can't remember it's Zaytun he's mm. actually a Syrian immigrant mm, right um, and this was all during like his experience during Hurricane Katrina living in New Orleans ah 
And so Dave does not do any of the humor pyrotechnics with that, right? Right. It, for him, it's a very somber reading because this poor guy, as a Syrian immigrant and a contractor who had his own contracting business and was working in the local uh, area, helping build homes, et cetera, stayed during Hurricane Katrina. And then after, in the aftermath, was helping his neighbors, you know, rescued one of his neighbors um, with a, they had a dinghy, he and mm -hmm. a couple of friends, right? Um, and he ended up getting arrested by um, the police, you know, the, and it turned out, you know, it, it actually turned into a federal investigation. Wow. Uh, because they assumed that he was a terrorist. Huh. Syrian immigrant, and he had a friend that was also uh, Middle Eastern. I don't recall Jeez. if his friend was Syrian yeah. or not, right. but his friend had a bunch of cash that he had basically saved for emergencies, didn't oh, keep it in a bank, yeah. kept it in a bag. And <laughs> so when the cops show up, you yeah. know, when they actually are, when they come back into the city and they're trying to help reestablish order and everything, they run into these guys who've just basically been helping out their neighborhoods, and one of them's got a bag of cash, and a couple of them are Middle Eastern. They're like, oh, they must be terrorists. Yeah. And so it was. Wait, just a, they weren't. <laughs> I mean, this is the Bush era, right? So, yeah. uh, but the end result from all of that was that he ended up um, having to. Uh, he was arrested. Didn't get a phone call, anything like that. He dropped off the map. Like he just went into this black oh, hole of yeah. law right. enforcement. And his family had left town. They couldn't get in touch with him. His wife was losing her hair because she was so stressed out. You know, his kids were not able to sleep. Um, and it's just a, a travesty of, of justice and how that happens. And so here's an author who, yeah, nails this particular style of humor. Yeah. But at the same time, has enough flexibility to not do that. So he does it when it's uh, right. useful and when it works. And when it's not something that works, he just steps away from it. Yes. That, that is what makes him one of the, the more interesting authors out there. And almost like a cultural phenomenon because he established McSweeney's as well, yes. which is huge. And I think that's actually how I, I think I was reading McSweeney's before I even knew who Dave Eggers was, you know? And, I, I uh, think I heard about them at the same time. Like, oh, there's this guy, Dave Eggers, who does this magazine called McSweeney's yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And, got to check it out and it right. was like this huge thing in the 90s and uh and it's still going of course yeah yeah but the online he, thing is he's is truly really one huge. of the one of the writers of the moment in his time right mm -hmm. i mean he, he was not just a another writer he was he was viewed as one of the best and the brightest uh and that was like sort of a, cent a core of, of what his whole image was. Yeah, I think. yeah. Well, I mean, he, he was so he started a magazine right in the nineties. Might. Yeah, that's and that's covered in the book. Like? Actually, yeah. no, it was Might. You're right. Yeah, M I G H T. And uh, um, and and so that's where he sort of got got it going um, as a a writer and as sort of a cultural analyst or a cultural you know uh, help helping sort of establish um, that sort of humor culture in magazine form. Um, for what eventually became McSweeney's. And then he's got the online um, thing that's sort of like an onion, almost an onion type, uh, you know, humor. All the humor piece. articles yeah, yeah. on it's McSweeney's, wonderful. yeah. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, uh, Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius was his first book, and it was, I think, a runner-up for a Pulitzer? Yeah. Uh, let's look at this. It was a Pulitzer Prize finalist. Right. A finalist. Yes. Yeah. And it, again, as you said, his first novel. Right. Yeah. Which... It's interesting for me because it kind of paralleled my own life where I 
came back to New York to do a magazine called Jinx. And uh, just at the same time, I heard about McSweeney's. And so we, I'm like doing this tiny little obscure nothing zine and uh and mcsqueenies is getting bigger and bigger and then this book comes out and i'm like who is this damn bitch? <laughs> yeah well so and of course as you mentioned mcsweeney is like the online uh, uh version is mostly humor articles but yeah. the actual publication itself i believe it's a quarterly right, right something yes. like that yeah and uh they collect some of the best authors that you've never heard and of. And it's so good. And it's authors from around the world. Um, yeah. And, and it's so good. And it's interesting, too. I, one of the things that drew, drew me into it, I think actually the thing that made me pick it up and start reading was there, every book is a work of art. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way they publish it, the, the artwork on the covers, uh, the format, sometimes they do like, a, I think one of the quarterly publications was a, a, a box full of a bunch of little pamphlets. Um, that are a mosaic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And let me let me even because the one that you're talking about, right? That has I, there's actually a personal connection that I have. To oh that yeah. One. My younger brother has a story published in that wow. one. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, which that one, uh, what was it called? Eaters of the Ocean or something like that. Um, but yes, that particular quarterly, the one where you have all the little pamphlets that you pull out. Yeah, and everything, yeah. My brother has one of those pamphlets. That's his, so great. One of his stories. That's very cool. So he actually. I'm so jealous. Free plug. That's, that's free great. plug here uh, for him. So he had three major, like uh, three short stories that were published in major uh, outlets. Mm. And I say major, I mean, you know, for writers, right? Oh, well, yeah. Um, McSweeney's is huge. Right. So that was his second story, actually. Wow. Um, his first one was called Tantalus, and that was uh, published in the Mid-Atlantic Review. Okay. Uh, and then um, he had uh, that one in McSweeney's, and then the one after that was called um, On the Swish and Roar. Okay. And that one was, I don't remember where that was initially published because there ended up being a paywall there mm-hmm. um, when he sent me the link, and mm. I was like, I mean, <laughs> come on, man. I just want to read your story. I don't want to pay for it. I'm your family, damn it. Uh, and, but I ended up, it, it's on Amazon now. Okay. And, and it's like two bucks. What's his name? Uh, Kavai Strong Washburn. Okay. But Kavai is spelled K-A-W-A-I. So, of course, right. we're from Hawaii. Yeah. The Hawaiian W is pronounced like a V. It's like okay. a German W, yeah, basically. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, in the in the way that you mentioned, you know, this book uh, changed what you thought literature could do. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of stories in a lot of these quarterlies where I would just, like, devour these and just be like, man, I, I that's kind of... In, in, in a in a broad sense, like this whole production, this whole thing that they're doing with the quarterly has changed my idea of what you can do with right. literature, with literature and with books and with, with all of it. That same story, the one that was in McSweeney's was actually published in the Best American Non-Required Reading as well. Mm. <laughs> and he, his first novel, my younger brother's first novel is coming out March 31st of next year, March wow. 31st, 2020. Six. It's being published in eight languages. Wow. Uh, and it's called um, Sharks in the Time of Saviors. I love it. So we're a bunch of nerds, basically. <laughs> we, all we do is read. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Well, you're in good company. Well, that's fantastic. What, uh, what's our time here? Well, we could do the lightning round. Or... All right. You ready? I think so. Okay. Lightning round it is. Here we go. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, when was the first Faster. time? <laughs> do you remember falling in love with the book for the very first time? Yeah, that would actually be The Lord of the Rings. I had, uh, it wasn't published as one book. It was uh, three separate volumes. Right. Though I got like the one volume later. Uh-huh. But that would have been um, in the middle of high school. Well, 
towards the end. So I would have been a senior in high school, actually. That would have been 1996. Great answer. Um, has a book ever changed your mind about anything? Yeah, actually. Um, so I majored in philosophy. Ah. And um, I took this class on 20th century contemporary philosophy, which is basically just French postmodernism. Okay. And... Um, we were reading Michel Foucault. It was mm -hmm. Discipline and Punish. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely farther right on the political spectrum than I am now. I was kind of like a, a centrist liberal where I was like, yeah, sure, death penalty. Why not? Some people <laughs> deserve it. Uh -huh. And the f opening chapters of Discipline and Punish are an account, a um, first and second person account of a man who was drawn and quartered. Mm. And I immediately, it was really hard for me to read. And I immediately changed my views on capital punishment after having read that and after having read Discipline and Punish um, to where sort of if someone doesn't have their own, their own body, if someone doesn't have uh, command of themselves, they don't have command of anything. Right. And I don't believe that the state in any way has the right to take that away from people. And that specifically changed because of that book and the introduction, like the first few, first chapter of that book. It was really hard for me to read. That's a great answer. Discipline and punish, mother effer. <laughs> Has a book ever changed your life? Good question. Um, I would say probably... There was this book here, uh, Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius, and there was also Cheese Monkeys, The Cheese Monkeys that I read shortly after. Mm. Similar in terms of the type of humor, um, but Cheese Monkeys is a little bit more of a contained story, and the timeline is different. It's like in the 50s, essentially. It's a kid in art school uh, or in, the, in college, in a university studying art. And... Um, Really, this kind of opened my idea to what humor could be. Hmm. Um, so I would definitely say that this changed my life in that uh, it allowed me to sort of explore what humor means to me, like what is actually humorous, what I find uh, entertaining. Oh, that's great. For me, it's funny stuff, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> Has a book ever made you cry on the opposite end of the spectrum? Right. So um, I'm going to give a partial answer on this one, which is, I wouldn't say a book, but a short story. Okay. And actually, it was um, on the Swish and Roar. It was my brother's story. Ah. Oh, um, the one that you didn't want to pay for? The one that I didn't <laughs> want to pay for, right. And ended up paying for anyway. You paid in tears, my uh, friend. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the short version of that story is that it's about um, two brothers in a household being raised by a single mom, and it's in Maui. Mm. Uh, my brother pretty much, his stories are almost exclusively um, written in and about, or written about Hawaii. Okay. Characters from the islands, essentially. Yeah. Some are in the islands, some are not in the islands at the time, or are reminiscing about when they were in the islands or have to go back to the islands, that kind of stuff. Um, but this one is about um, one brother who's like an academic uh, star and his older brother who's an athletic star. And it's really centered around the athletic brother as he runs into some, into some family problems and starts going through a slump in his playing. Mm. Uh, and he's a, he's a basketball player, so it's like, oh, all the college scouts are showing up, and then the scouts stop showing up, and then he's getting benched. Mm. And um, sort of his internal turmoil and in processing with sort of not working through 
um, the what's going on with his family and then sort of having to work through that in order to get his game back in time for the sort of the huge game of the season. And it's really about, it has a lot to do with his rivalry with his younger brother, um, his, uh, you know, the, how he feels out of place in his own family. And there was, I don't, I don't talk with my brother about his writing process very much, but I saw flashes of us in those oh, characters. Right. Sure. And in particular, the, the main character really, really resonated with me just okay. because of his loneliness. Yeah. And I sort of have always had a lot of loneliness um, in my own family. I always kind of felt like the uh, piece that didn't fit, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that, that story moved me to tears. Wow. Okay. Good answer. Um, okay. Uh, name a book you've read more than once. Heartbreaking Work of Stabbing right. Genius, right? right. Uh, to start. Okay. Um, Lord of the Rings, I used to read it annually. Oh, really? I, I okay. don't really have the time to do that these days. Yeah. Um, Neuromancer by William Gibson, ah. one of my all-time favorites. Uh, Dune by Frank Herbert. Well, you are a nerd, aren't you? Yeah, I am <laughs> quite the nerd, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I could keep going, but those are like <laughs> off the top of my head. Those are ones that I've read multiple times. Okay, great. There are also biographies that I've read a few times, yeah. uh, et cetera. So. Okay. Uh, and then the million dollar question, the big one. Uh, do you have any poetry committed to memory? Robert Frost. Okay. Uh, fire and ice. Some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. Beautiful. Nicely done. Okay, well, this has been a fantastic interview. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about Dave Eggers. Uh, LB's taking a photo. Smile for the camera. Mug with the mic. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being here. What a treat to have my old pal Mocha Washburn talking books. Yeah. Talking philosophy. Fantastic. Yeah. It's great to see you both. It's been far too long. And far thank too you long. so much for having me. That's really a great it. reason to get back together. Um, okay, so this has been the Persistence of Vision podcast. Please do visit our website, pov-publishing.com. Buy my book, which is called Why So Much. Buy LB's book, which is called The Goddamn Fool. Right? Yes, yes, and it's also about basketball. That's true. <laughs> that is true. So which is better? Which book is better? <laughs> Get That's them both. That's what you have to decide. Buy them both. Well, buy I them mean, both twice. Yeah, buy all the books. Buy all the books and be our servants and our <laughs> devoted fans forever. All right, thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Thank you.